days after I left the tour, the cattle call for Jerome Robbins Broadway came up. Hello and welcome to the mental game of musical theater. I'm your host, David Eggers. Let's get started. So here's the thing about Joanne Hunter and me. We have known each other for about 23 years, but before we ever met, she'd already had this huge career. That's why we talked so much. I hope you enjoyed episode one, which was before this, and I hope you enjoy the rest of our conversation right here, episode two, with the incredible Joanne Hunter. Two days after I left the tour, the cattle call for Jerome Robbins Broadway came out. It was Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. There was no appointments. You go to the cattle. And so I was like, I'm going. I went on. No invited. Monday went. Monday morning at 10 o'clock. From 10 o'clock to almost 6, I danced all day. We learned so many different pieces of movement. Now, not everybody. Get, I kept getting asked to stay, asked to stay. But at the end of the day, there was probably 10 of us maybe left. Left the building. It was 890 Broadway. Back then, it was still called the Michael Bennett Studios. Got on the payphone, called my agent. They said, "How?" Did, I said, "I did. I last all day long." You know, it's like I, I don't know, but they did say to me, "If you get any work between now and the summer, please let us know." So, and then uh, while I was on the phone with my agent, she said, "Hold on, I'm getting a call." You know, she gets a call. One of the company managers called to say uh, I was getting an offer. Just after that first day. Please. Please don't oh take another job. Uh, and if you do, please let us know when it is, what the dates are. And because there's going to be like, there's going to be work sessions in the summer before rehearsals will start in, uh, in the fall. Oh my gosh. So, and so that's, that's how I got Jerome Robbins Broadway. Wow. Okay. First of all, a full day of dancing sounds excruciating. That summer, did, they did do that. They brought, they brought in the company summer, or some oh, of and, the company. And so different people all the time. We were, we were called skeleton crew. So Jerry was trying to recreate. Yeah. Some of the, you know, he would bring in yeah. some people that had done it originally who were still alive and no, 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 you know, no, we did this, you know, right. And we were, we would do it and he would, he would finesse it or change it. And we would work on numbers that sometimes it was called the sleep, sleepwalkers ballet, never made it into the show. So fun, never made it to oh, the show, wow. but we worked on this. I worked one-on-one -on -one with the, um, the pot of dough with him. Uh, for, there's something about me that I think Jerry, I, I say this to people all the time. I think I reminded him of somebody because he would always treat me like very paternally. I don't know what it was, but it was very interesting. Nice. He always treated me. He was great. When you were in a small room, he was great. It's when the full company, then, then you saw his kookiness. But I was like, I'm in a room with Jerry Robbins. I mean, he is to my, to me, to this day, not, yeah. just the best because he creates story. Yeah not just movement. So that's, that is how I, I got my first Broadway show. Not just any Broadway show. I mean, probably like one of the most legendary, I used that word earlier, but I think it applies here too. One of the most legendary, iconic dance behemoth musicals that ever happened because of the breadth of his work and the scope of that show, and just the incredible athleticism and stamina that all of you must have had to develop. I mean, and we're talking about a Broadway show, so it isn't just about survival, it's about, you know, creating magic eight, eight times, times a week. When you're in the rehearsal room, and I, I think I, I learned this early on with my other teachers, but when you're in the rehearsal room, when you have someone like Jerry Robbins, who is like, an icon, right? And his expectation of yes, you're you're in there because you're a professional. 
his expectation of you is enormous. And if you don't step up to the plate, you sit on the bench. Hmm. And he, I wow. watched him take people out of certain numbers many a time. And, and, mm. and when I say like, you know, he's, I, I'll give you an example. Uh, in, there's a number, the Charleston, there's just three of us. It was um, myself, Marianne Lamb, Barbara Yeager. Originally it was not, it was, it was Mary Ellen Stewart, Barbara Yeager was, and then I don't remember who the third girl was. Anyway, wait, they're doing it and he's boom. And he stop, stop. And he says to Mary Ellen Stewart, beautiful, beautiful, tall, beautiful blonde dancer. He goes, sit down. Literally go sit down. He, I'm in the back of the room because oh we all have to, you know, we have to just be there and you better know it, even though you're not in that number. He's like, Joe, no way. Come, look at this. Come. Now I'm leading out. I lead out from the wing. And he, Jerry, was notorious of giving you uh, not a five, six, seven, eight. And dun, 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 dun. And that Gimignani was a musical director. He had to, he had to know those tempos because there was no five, there's no counting in tempo. And he's got to know that tempo immediately. And he was like this, you ready? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And, but I'm leading out with the three. So you were originally in that number, but you knew the choreography and you're now you're about to show You better it. know everything. This is what I'm talking about. This is, I mean, with all due respect, young people today, you got, you, you got to be on time. You got to be, you got to be forward motion. You have to be proactive not even back waiting. Yeah. You have to be proactive. Everyone had to know everything. You had to make sure you learned it in the back of the room when it was being taught. Because anybody could be dancing anything. Yeah, so. so he did that, did it for a couple of times, and then he pulled the other girl out, and then he brought in Marianne, same thing, and then it was the three of us who ended up doing it. Wow. Yeah. Wow. He was tough. That is, yeah. that's a different world oh, yes. than what we work in now, for sure. <laughs> But that's incredible. I mean, and this is your first Broadway show. So you are, oh my gosh, just like the the expectation that was put on you to be part of that company, to, you know, not get fired, to not be taken out of numbers, but and to be added into numbers. And oh my gosh, just the what you must have taken away from that forward into other jobs that you did as well. I say dancers, I would say a majority of dancers are a different breed. I always say that. I, I said, put me in a room with dancers nine times out of 10, maybe more than that. They will, they will step up. They will do it. You know what I mean? I, I, I have not, I've been very lucky. I've not experienced dancers who, you know, oh, I need a break or, you know what I mean? Like that kind of, I've not experienced that uh, mm -hmm. so far. I've been in room with mm -hmm. people that are, again, the same, like that same discipline. That, first of all, that want to be there. That's yes. the bottom line. If you don't want to be here, my hat is off to you that you know that, then leave. Because there are a lot of people who do want to be there. There right? are so many people who yeah. want it so desperately that would give anything. You know what I mean? So I go, you have to want it. And let, and if you don't, you and you got to know it's hard work. It's hard work. But if you love it, then it's worth the work. I mean, it, it, nothing's worth anything if it's if you can't earn it. But, you know, it d did teach me. It taught me a lot. It taught me how, you know, I mean, first of all, make sure you're on your, on your game. On your game. And don't expect anything. Work for it. You know what I mean? And just, and the room of talent and how many talented people there are in that world, how many talented people don't necessarily like, I don't, there, I don't know why Mary Ellen was taken out, but she was, she was great, but we did not like her for some reason, took her out, hmm. put me in. Don't know. You know what I mean? I, I was not about to ask him. <laughs>
Yeah, and that happened to the the original girl who was playing the West Side Story, the fre- the girlfriend of of Griff. Louise Hickey was the original girl who was phenomenal. I my God, I love watching her. She was great. Jerry, one day we came in, we were rehearsing the West Side Story suite. Next thing we know, Louise is no longer playing Graziella. Graziella. I think that's the name. No longer playing Graziella. Donna DeMeo was another also great dancer, came was now in that spot for no reason. No no one was told. It was just that's that's what he decided. Okay, so Broadway debut, Jerome Robbins Broadway, amazing. How long were you with that show? Do you remember? A year once it opened, under a year and a half, but probably including Skeleton Crew, almost two years I was part of. After you opened the Broadway show, you stayed with it for about a, all in all, about a year and a half. Why did I you- I got another Broadway show called Shogun the Musical about the James Mitchell's novel Shogun, you know, also it was just like about with mm-hmm. Japanese culture. And I was like, doing a show with mm-hmm. Japanese culture in it. I was like, oh my God, you know, and I had a small part in it. And I, I had a nice feature in Jerry Robbins Broadway also, but I had I had a part in this. And um, uh, and it was probably, at that time, I think it was one of the most expensive not hits <laughs> around. <laughs> but I, I loved it. I remember, oh my God, they brought in a sensei from Japan and his assistant that taught us all the sword fighting. It was so hard. But like, so it was so phenomenal. Oh my God, I loved this. We did, we rehearsed, we did, I did a four week workshop. Uh, it was myself, I was also the dance captain. It was like two principals and then four of us doing uh, workshopping, all sword fighting and everything. And then- Was that your first dance captain job? It was my first job? dance captain job, yes. Uh, so I had, a, I was on a principal yeah. contract and I was a dance captain. <laughs> Amazing, wow, that doesn't happen very often. I thought about that. Uh, and then we so we did that we did four weeks and then we started rehearsal in the summer so I was still double dutying when I did that workshop so I was doing Jerry Jerome Robbins at night and double dutying uh because I was a money whore so I was like I want to make two paychecks yes it was hard though boy it was exhausting but I I don't care I loved it you know what I mean I think then after I finished that workshop I think I probably did four more weeks I think I gave my notice left and then we started rehearsal in the summer I think the very beginning of July or end of June. And then we went out of town at the Kennedy Center and um, did our tryout there. And they, when we came back to New York to the marquee, they fired the lead guy who played the lead, who I don't know, he was a British guy, loved him. He was so swashbuckly, I have no idea. I have no idea why he was let go. I was like, why? He was so good. And they brought in an actor named Philip Kavanaugh. He did chess before that. During a preview, one of the shoji screens fell from the fly. A bolt. So here's a bolt. You can't see, but imagine my hair clip, which is fairly big. I was walking out with one of the other um, actors, and we were walking, getting ready for the ceremony. We're walking very, very, in a very stylish, proper bolt. And all of a sudden, this I see this bolt, boom, lands in front of me. And I looked down. I was like, "This that doesn't seem right." And I look up and I see the shoji screen fly down. Now, thank God the shoji screen is made of rice paper. So it catches air. Thank God it doesn't catches air. So it glides down, hits Philip Kavanaugh, who's downstage center on the head, but not direct. Thank God, not boom, hits him, boom, knocks him down. Eddie G. Robinson was our MD conducting. Eddie G. was like this, boom, moved out of the way, boom, hit the end of the pit. Thank God it stopped. The pit stopped going on it. The girl. Who's younger than who's younger than me? I was like, ah, 
screaming. And I was like, hey, cool. Just relax. Come with me. And I literally guided her. We went off stage. Stopped the preview. Philip got a, a minor concussion. Uh, canceled, obviously, the rest of that show. Canceled the next show. And then opening night was a day later. <laughs> Wow. Something like that. It might have been a couple of days, but we didn't miss many shows. Yeah. yeah. And uh, and Philip didn't miss a show. During the course of this, mind you, before Shogun, I also auditioned for Miss Saigon. During Shogun, I got offered Miss Saigon. I turned it down because I was doing a part in Shogun. James Michener called all the principals, said, we're going to be closing. can't remember if he gave us a week notice. I think it was probably a week notice because that's all you need to give is a week notice. Right the show Joanne I just wanted to let you know I couldn't believe it. I went what I didn't know we, I had no idea I was like what we're not doing well anyway closing the show in a week the rest of the cast will find out when they go into the theater that night two hours later Vinnie Liff calls me it says Joanne we know that because they are they know all everything just so you know producers crew know way more before any actor finds yeah, out they do he had to wait till it was going to become official but he said to me he goes we have saved your part. We have not recast your part in Miss Saigon. Do you want it? And I was like this, you're kidding. And I just bought my first apartment. You're kidding. He said, no. So they knew they had a feeling oh that Shogun's not going to do well. Oh my gosh. And they saved and a part for you. They didn't recast the part I was uh, that I turned down. And so less than a month later, I started rehearsal on Miss Saigon. Amazing. And were you a replacement in Miss Saigon or was that a that original, was original company? company. Uh, and I'm going, there's a lucky star shining over my head right now because I just bought my our first part. Wow. <laughs> Incredible. Okay. So was it always like this? Did you always just get handed your next show as your current show was closing? Uh, no, no. I mean, okay. Like things that you learn by when you're working, right? Mm -hmm. I learn, I learn how to be act in a room. Uh, I learn what it means to be respectful. You know what I mean? It goes a long way. Uh, I believe I gained a reputation from being a, a good company. You're like you want team, you want team players. You want a good company in the room, right? Not just talented. You want talent. I think I said this to Amy. Amy Higgins one day asked me. She goes, "If you had a choice between if two good people were good, but one person had a reputation, I go, I take this person in a second." She goes, "You would go in a second. And um, she goes, "Wow!" And I will never forget her face. Was like, "Wow!" And. Um, so I think that I, I, by this point, I was gaining a reputation of, of working, of doing my gig. Being reliable, right? Being reliable, having fun, yeah. not being a pain in the ass, not being a troublemaker. You know what I mean? Um, You're a good company member to have. And I want to be good company. I want to have fun. I don't want to go to work and be miserable. I don't understand I mean, why you would want to go to work and be miserable. Then don't go. I, you know what I mean? I don't Exactly. And, and we, we do musical theater because it is fun. You get to be play pretend for anywhere between an hour and a half to two and a half hours, <laughs> eight times a week. Yeah. I was like, I mean, you get to be a whole different human being for that amount of time. And then real life is over here. I, and so I think I started getting this reputation. So there were, there were a few shows that I got just ask only. I didn't yeah, have to audition. Of course. I would get a phone call. Uh, some auditions I, I would, I would never at that, by that point, I never had to go to a open call or a cattle call again. I was, I was always invited to a call, yeah. but there's still, there's still several people in the room. You know, I still had to dance and sing. I mean, there were a couple of shows. I remember I was auditioning for Paul Gimignani, musical director who had worked for a couple more times and who I just had the greatest respect for who I knew liked me and I had to audition for him and I hated audition for people I knew because I just in my head 
I thought there was an expectation. And if I don't hit that expectation, then they're going to be like, oh, wow, I thought Joanne was better than that. She's not really good. I'm so glad to hear you say that because I all I always think it was that when I first got to New York City and started auditioning, it was way easier than when people started to know me because of the same thing. I always felt like I was going to disappoint somebody or yeah, have a bad day and they would have expected so much more from me. And it got so much harder the more I was, the longer I was there. So much harder. I agree. It was, I don't know, I think, because you just don't want to let anyone down. You know, I mean, you knew they liked you and they're like, oh man, wow, but she's, she's just been lucky this whole time. Like all of those doubts, just like, and I remember auditioning for him. I think it was something at Encores and I, oh my God, David, I was so nervous. I sang a song that I had sung many times. So I could, that my legs, I had my legs just planted like, you know, in a small second position, just like planted, feeling very grounded. I could, they would like, they were vibrating underneath. I could feel it. And I was like this, oh my God. And then I kept opening them up and I must've been in the widest <laughs> second stance singing this song. By the end, I just, I- I I was almost I blew I felt like I blew the audition I was like I walked out of there I thought I just I I'm horrible I was so upset oh I thought he's never gonna think I'm right for the show he's never I'm just like I he's just gonna oh God just to end wasn't good I get a call back <laughs> and I think because I might have had an off day but also. I'm guessing maybe Paul went to bat for me or said, or someone said, you think she could sing that? She, I know she can sing it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and so I ended up getting a call back, even though I thought I sucked bananas. Oh my gosh. I'm laughing because I've been there. I've been there. I know that feeling. Yeah. <laughs> the way your legs just don't, you're like, they, I know they can see this too. It's not just like nerves inside. Uh -huh. It's visible. I know. <laughs> But you had a reputation at that point, right? If you think your actions don't have repercussions, mm. you're sadly mistaken. And I think, you know, sometimes, and sometimes they're not spoken if they're, if they're good, even if they're bad, they're not spoken of. You know what I mean? Uh, but I sometimes I'll tell people that if I see how they, how they act or how they deal with the situation, every once in a while I'll go up to them and I said, just so you know, it was really well done and go, I go, don't think it didn't go unnoticed. Oh, that's really nice of you. Because it's because because it is, and you remember that. I I'm always like I oh yeah I love this person yeah great person to be in the room with great person I love these people they're phenomenal they're 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 attentive they're joyful they want to be there you know what I mean and then there are people on another list that I was like and I'm I'm will give a second chance but I'll say to casting not my favorite mm. I said let's give them, and they'll say to me sometimes. They, they were going through a bad situation, but okay, great. Let's give them a second chance. Oh, that's good. You know, and I do check up on people like Stroman does that also. She, if she doesn't know someone, she calls, she's called me a couple times on actors. I'm like, I hope I say the right, I'm so nervous. Stroman's calling me. Oh. How do you like working with them? I go, well, I liked him. I hope you do. You know what I mean? <laughs> right, right. But I've made phone calls to, um, and I remember working, uh, I'm not going to say who this person was, but I had heard from two different sources. Oh, this person doesn't show up for work. I was like, from two different sources that I trusted. I was like, oh. and I said this to casting and like, God, we've not had that. But I loved this. Per I thought, oh no, this person is so right for the show. I was like, you know what? I'm going to give this person a chance. Mm. Ended up being phenomenal. Awesome. So maybe they had a bad time. Maybe, yeah. you know what I mean? So it was always a world of giving a second chance. I love that, Joanne, because I think that actors all of us we go through seasons 
you know, seasons of growth and change mm-hmm. and struggle. That's fantastic that you're willing to um, allow for that. You know, we all should be, everyone makes mistakes. Everyone has fumbles. Like you said, everyone goes through the hills and valleys in life. And your goal is to never bring it in the room, but sometimes it just is overwhelming and you, and you can understand it. So, but like I said, this person ended up being one of my favorite people, just hundred percent. And I thought so glad. And so it was, it was phenomenal. Well, I love that we're talking about this now because I mean, I could keep going through your legendary Broadway career piece (laughs) by piece because I eat it up. But um, let's talk a little bit about, so there are two areas that we haven't really touched on. One is your perspective now as a creative, seeing how actors handle the room, seeing how dancers handle the audition, seeing how all of these performers, of which you used to be one, but now watching these performers take that journey with you um, from auditioning through you know, opening and long runs, et cetera. What are some of the things that you find you bring to your work having having been also a dancer, having been a performer? First of all, I completely understand what it feels like to audition. In fact, years ago when I was that, well, I think it was during Millie actually, probably more Millie than anything. No, it was maybe a little before that when I was helping hold auditions, you know, whether they're for Sergio or for Rob or whoever I was an associate or dance captain for. Once, you know, I get help doing the auditions and then, okay. And then Rob's okay. Okay. We're going to make a cut. And they, so they bring everyone back in the room. I would leave the room. <laughs> I remember we were auditioning up. Uh, you remember the studios or, um, I don't know what it's called, that theater anymore. It's just changed the same thing. The Hilton, oh, there were studios, yeah. I think the third floor or something, yeah, right? Yeah. I think we were doing Millie auditions there. Okay, he's going to make the cut. And I was like, oh! Sometimes I would go behind a curtain. And I was like, there's no curtain. I was like, where? And there was a door. I go, what's that door? Oh, it's just at least like a little like room room. If like you're looking at the mirrors, it was over to the left in the corner. Okay. And I, I was like, this, yeah! And I <laughs> went into the closet. <laughs> because I know what it feels like. Mm. I know what it takes to, first of all, get ready for the audition okay get your mind knowing because there's at least a at least a 50 percent chance you're not going to get the gig just getting yourself there to show up to face those odds right you know what i mean getting there going there getting ready bringing all your dance material your dance bag and sweaty room and all the people and and you know learning new material maybe in front of people you've never danced for before and like oh you know like all of those things i know know what what it feels like like. and putting yourself out there and want and wanting it so desperately and then not hearing your name called and trying your best to like okay yeah good luck like Mm. i i I just like i could i even to this day it's like when casting goes okay and i hand up to casting and they would be like okay i'll be like thank you i'm like so so sorry and i would literally go to the back and like just turn my head you want everyone to work out you know what i mean that's that's the goal and people have to remember that that it would be great if everyone was right for the show. That was really hard for me to do. I've gotten better at it, but it's still, like I said, someone else has to do all of that. I don't want any part of it. But I do think that just because I was a performer for so long, I know what it takes to be in rehearsal for seven hours a day. I know that you have to build your stamina. I know that in a good room, there's collaboration, but at the end of the day, there there is a leader in that room and that leader has a vision. 
or two leaders or whoever, you know what I mean? The leader normally is right. the director and then the choreographer sits under that umbrella as well as the designers. Right. And you know what I mean? So you have to, you have to appreciate and you might, maybe you might not agree with it, but you know, somebody asked me this question, well, what happens if you don't like what they're doing or something? And I said to her, I go, well, first of all, if you're so out of your body judging what you're doing, then I go, then you're not in the piece completely. And you're not, yeah. you have to let, allow the creatives to see it. So they, because they are editors also, and sometimes they can't see until the whole thing comes together. Oh my God, that's not right. But you have to allow for that. And that is your job as being part of the muse to help tell the story. You know, and what I learned is that the, that the point of view is from the front of the room and you have to respect mm -hmm. that and you have to do your mm -hmm. best to try to help that story. And if it's not working, then there's a good collaboration happens where like, you know, like when I'm working, oh, this is what I want. I go, oh God, that doesn't feel, that's not doing what I want it to do. Or it's not saying what I want. Does that not feel right? Does that feel weird to everyone? Or, yeah. And you know, like, well, if we did this, oh, okay. That makes more sense. Okay. Then you open the room up for that collaboration, but you got to, I think you need to allow space for the creators to, to have that moment. And then, then they'll open it up. So I, as a performer, I've always learned that. I was like, listen, mm, that, and you know, they say, oh, dancers, they do what they're told. Yes, we do what we're told because we respect and we we trust that person in the front of the room. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I said, and a good collaborator will then will then question themselves and go, mm, that's not, doesn't feel good, does it, everyone? I can tell, you know, and then then you can open yourself up to conversation. So right. I, I've, I've luckily, I've been in a room as a performer with great choreographers and collaborators that allowed to, to, to do that. You know what I mean? I've rarely been in a, a room in a show where the movement has not changed from the first day of rehearsal. Of rarely, if ever, you yeah. know what I mean? It's like, you have to, it's gonna, and I always said, this is my, everyone who works for me or works with me knows this. I go, don't marry anything. I said, a promise ring at most, maybe a couple of dates. But I can guarantee you it's going to change. <laughs> I think that's helped me a lot in, in being on the other side of the room. And also dealing with how I talk and play with the dancers and the actors in, this, in the room. What about expectations? I know that can be a loaded word. As a performer, you came from a time period where, and working with Jerome Robbins, hello, but where like the expectations on you were so clear. They were so clear, right? How do, how do you see that playing out now as, as you are a choreographer? I still have high expectations from everybody in the room. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. you, you, if you're in the room, you're a professional. And as a professional, that comes with certain responsibilities. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If you're not a professional, you would not be in that room and you're, you're still in that learning process, but you are now a professional. You're in the room. The expectation is high. I'm not saying that you can't fail or make big giant boo-boos by no means. In fact, that is, that is the place to do it and the time to do it. Make giant boo-boos. I make them all the time. Yes. But does it does yeah. not lower an expectation. The expectations are around energy. I assume enthusiasm, openness, wanting to be there. I expect wanting to be there. you want yeah. to be here and are going to give me a hundred percent when you're in this yeah. room working. That's my yeah. expectation. Absolutely. Without a doubt. And I would think that is the expectation from the dancers and the actors from me that I am going to give 100% and, yeah. and hand over as much respect as I can back to you. That should be, yeah. that, that should be the expectation from both sides of the room.
when we're in a room putting a show on, putting a show together, we get, we really get, yes, we have so many weeks, depends on what kind of contract it is, but there's one opening night. <laughs> we, you know, we get one chance to do this together. That's right. When are, when else are we going to do it better? That's right. That's right. And you know, it's funny because like, you know, I do a lot, I do, I work a lot on my feet, which I like to, but I also do a lot of pre-work, you know, I'm having ideas of, okay, who goes where, who's partnering, blah, blah, blah. And I'll say to my associates or whatever, okay, this is who I'm going to partner, the boom, 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 let's just teach them this vocabulary right now. And I'll watch and I'll go, I'll make, I made a mistake. Not as quick as I thought, I'm going to put them with someone else, it's going to help, you know, and I'll, if the pieces of the puzzle, I say that because when you are learning and working in the room, we are learning and working yeah. in the room by watching. That's true. We're st that's true. We're still working. Mm -hmm. This has been so amazing. One thing we haven't talked about, which I think I think we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about it, was what it's like to be a BIPOC artist in this industry. I represent a type of person that has, has enjoyed unearned privileges. European-American descent. I'm Caucasian. I'm cisgender. I'm able-bodied. I'm a gay man. I have had privileges probably handed to me over the course of my career that I did not earn. But I'm speaking to someone who is a BIPOC artist, part of the global majority who who may have had a different road. I just wanted to ask you, did you feel that it impacted the career that you had in any at any juncture? I don't want to misspeak about it, but I also don't want to leave it unaddressed. <laughs> Hey, this is David popping in here to let you know I'm also working on a book all about the mental game of musical theater, and I'd love for you to check it out. Head over to profeggers.com. That's P-R-O-F-E-G-G-E-R-S.com for information and to be one of the first to get your hands on this book. It's going to help you as you prepare for, pursue, and build your career in musical theater. I appreciate you checking it out, and I appreciate you being here. So let's get back to the episode. Well, thank you for asking that, David. First of all, let me just start by saying, I don't necessarily think in your scope of your career they were unearned. Uh, maybe you had more opportunities, but you were never a lazy sack of shit. <laughs> okay? You, you worked your ass off. You, had, you were given opportunities uh, more readily, Absolutely. Of course. Yes, we all know that. But the David that I know and I worked with was never a, a, a person that said, well, I deserve this or I expect this. You worked, you worked your ass off. So you have to also give that to you as a human being. Okay. Well, thank you. The color of your skin kind. was something you were born with. Okay. Right. What you are from the inside you have control of that. But I understand what you're saying. I want you to, I think you should hear that. And I think your, the, the, your listeners should also know that, you know, you work hard for the money. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate you saying that. I don't take it for granted the opportunities that I was given. I just mean that if the world had been more fair, people born with different colored skin would have had some of the opportunities that probably came to me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Without a doubt. Absolutely. But like I said, you in the world that you were in at that time, you worked hard and you still do. 
I appreciate you saying that. I want to talk to you. I want to hear from you. Like, let's acknowledge that you did Shogun the Musical. Mm -hmm. You did Miss Saigon. Absolutely. I, I was grateful to those shows because, oh my God, there's going to be more of us on stage as opposed to me, me being the only one on stage or myself and one black person. You know what I mean? Now, Jerome Rumbles was different. We had, I mean, there weren't a lot of Asians, but, you know, we did do King and I. There was myself, Susie Kikuchi. There was Irene Cho. There was Mindy Cartwright, who was also bi biracial. And then we've got, we had Latinos and Latinas because we did, of course, West Side Story. So there was a, there was a little bit more diversity in my first Broadway show, which yeah. was was great uh in cats you would have thought there would be a little bit more diversity like i said we're all in makeup it was me and three black actors and they were all off stage uh-uh mm -hmm. oh my gosh bobby fleming austin jeton i was called jeton jeton but i was i would make his name french from jeton and Sorry. lisa don cave who's now a uh, big psm production stage manager oh no no and chris toy so there are two asians the two asians we were on stage <laughs> so we had five people of color uh in on that tour which was probably a lot back then sadly yeah but that's like a cast of like 30 or yeah but i've been in shows where it was just one one and one me me and maybe one black person when i first moved to new york and i was taking class uh like i said chuck kelly and i was i continued to take class with him even after the scholarship ended and other teachers and i remember a few people saying to me all the time God, you know, they're lovely. I, I, they weren't friends, but they were like in class, we would talk. And I remember one of them saying, God, you remind me of this other dancer. Her name is Cynthia Rubia. And I was like, who, who's Cynthia? And I didn't know who that was. I was auditioning for song and dance. That's when I saw Cynthia. And I remember looking at her, you know what I'm going to say, right? We don't look yes. anything alike. Nothing. At all. Yeah. I looked yeah. at her. I didn't know what her last name was. And I go, oh, she's, I think she's Filipino or says, I don't know. Or, or is she a mixed race? But I went, but she's of Asian descent. I went, we are nothing alike. We are both no. petite. She's, she's actually shorter than I am. Woohoo, if you can believe that. She's, you know, <laughs> petite, beautiful dancer. Why? Because uh, we both did the white cat. I literally, like, but I'll never forget that. That was one of the first times I went, because we're Asian. That was weird. Okay. And then I just blew it off. You know, I just like, that was weird. You know, there were certain shows that I would not get, I couldn't get an audition for because of what I look like. Really? Mm -hmm. But I would say, thankfully to choreographers, I got work because yeah. they were not necessarily worried about the color of my skin, but they actually hired me, hopefully, for my talent. Yes. You know what I mean? So yeah. thank goodness for that, because I felt like color the, the choreographers didn't really care. They just, as long as you could do their material, I don't care what you look like, as long as you're right for the part and you can, and you can dance this material the way I want, I, I see it in my head. Awesome. I told the story just for the first time ever. When I was doing Kiss Me Kate, I was the understudy to Lois Bianca. And then Amy gave her notice and I was offered to take over the role. But I was only offered a three month contract because they said we have to make sure all the people of power, all the creatives are, are okaying you. So the producers, Roger Berlin, Roger Horchow, boom, okay me, less, okay me. Paul Gimignani. Totally okay. And then the director, they said, we have to get him and Kathleen Marshall's uh, approval before, you know, we can offer you a, a regular, a full contract. It's like, you know, I was like, okay. Michael Blakemore. They said, Michael's coming to see you in the show. I said, great. 
So intermission comes, Michael knocks on my dressing room door, comes in. I said, come in, Michael. And I'm getting ready to change my wig or whatever. He's talking. And this is what he says to me. He said, Joanne, he said, I, I have to say, he said, you are the best actress I've seen play this part. He said, you're funny, you know, saying lovely. I was like, oh, I said, thank you, Mr. Blakemore. It's very nice. Thank you. He said, but you're not the right type. And I, you know, I'm like this. Okay. Then he proceeded to say, and I thought, well, what type meaning? What does he mean by that? You know, I'm like, I'm trying to give, I'm in my head. I'm giving the benefit of the doubt. You just said this is an intermission, by the way. Intermission. Now, mind you, act two opens with the longest song in the history of the universal world for Lois Bianca. Always true. Yeah. The longest song and funny. Yeah. yeah okay. And really funny. Yeah. So Okay. Okay. So not only is this wrong on multiple deep levels, it's also wrong to be saying this at intermission. Anyway, oh my God. Then he, then he says to me, Joanne, even if I didn't know you or your talent, he said, if somebody showed me a picture of you, your headshot, and I, I would say, no, she's not the right type. Oh my God. Michael Blakemore said that to me. I've told the story before, but I've never said the show or his name. And now I'm like, now I'm going to say it. Um, yeah. And I'm not here to shame him or, and listen, I definitely think it was the way I looked. He did not think it was right. He wanted a Caucasian looking person in the role at the same time. And not that I'm saying this is right or wrong, but it also is the right of the person who's creating the show to cast it with the way they feel. It's like, where do you draw the line? He did not want me because of what I, my face looked like and probably that I'm olive skinned and, or Japanese, you know what I mean? Uh, because he said, if I saw your picture, now, because when he says I'm not the right type, I'm like, okay, what does that mean? I'm not the right type. Right. Does right. he not feel like I deliver? A lot of different right? Is it not the right stylistically? You know, mm -hmm. but then when he said he looked, if he just saw my picture, that means that he's just looking purely on the outside, purely. I said, okay, so I just, you know, so we're, I think we're going to, you know, go for, you'll finish your contract. And I, and I was like this, I went, I've got to go out and do act two. And that night I gave my notice. <gasps> Yes, ma'am. I finished my run. I said, after I finished my run as Lois Bianca, I am, I'm leaving. I'm, I'm done. So I'm not going to, yeah. And I left. Good for you. Yeah. And I remember Paul Gimignani, my last, my, my bow, two dozen red roses he handed to me. Oh, I'll never forget that. Good man. Good man. Yeah. And that was, that was the most obvious or just like, oh, just like a punch in the gut. Yes. I, uh, of of being judged on my yeah blatant racism i'm just gonna say that. i'm sorry but i had i've i was like i had experienced it before you, you know even in new york city in the world like there are many there are many times i'll i'll walk down the street that i will hear hey hey and it was always hey chink go back to where you came from even in new york city, i'm like when you're in new york city, city. And I'm like this, you know what? If you're going to be a bigot, get it right. Japanese. I was just like this. Yeah. <laughs> Jap. You can call me Jap or Nip, but get it right. I would be like this. Come on. If you're going to. I love that. We don't all look alike. <laughs> just, Thank you. You know, yes. you know, and then after during, during COVID, because with the, excuse me, for those who think politics in a different way, the dickhead who was living in the White House at the time, when he oh. was calling out COVID as a Chinese virus. I'll never forget. I'm because we were up here at the house because you know city was shut down. And I'll never forget I went, oh shit, this is gonna cause trouble. And I remember going to the grocery store up here, which is a great grocery store. And this 
fat, sorry, I'm body shaming, but I'm going to say it anyway. Fat redneck. Sorry, I'm saying it and you don't have to cut it out. I heard him talking to another guy, a guy, I guess, who worked at the store that was put, you know, putting the baskets, the shopping baskets in order. And he goes, yeah, yeah, you hear it's, it's the, the, the Chinese, it's that Chinese virus, the Chinese, like, and I, I you know, where I'm wearing masks. And I remember I had my mask on and I pulled my mask as high as I could over my nose and just under my eyes and walk past because I felt like you were in danger. It's the only time. And there was a second thing happened to me also during that, during COVID it was the first time in my life that I was nervous because how I now listen, I think the black people of our country have been nervous for as long as time. Right. Right. As, as an Asian woman or by, uh, I was the first time I actually was afraid, not, not just, I, I'm, I've been, I've been tormented. I've been made fun of. Yeah. You know what I mean? I can, I can handle those situations. Um, but I, I was like, you know, and up here, this town we live in is very conservative except for our dirt road. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> and then I remember at a dog run with my dog and this, there were only two people in there and this wife came up to me. It was a husband and wife. I didn't know at the time. They're like, Oh, hi, what's your dog? Oh, you know, and I, I'd had my mask off cause we were far apart. You know, I just, and I think yeah. at that point. It was summertime and it was a little, you know, when you're outside, it's not as bad, you know. Right. And he goes, oh, we're she was lovely. And then her husband comes up. He looked at me and goes, oh, Filipino? I said, excuse me, Filipino? Uh -huh. And I, I said, I'm sorry, what are you saying? He goes, are you from Phil the Philippines? Where are you? What are you? What are you? And I said, well, oh, I'm half Irish, Scottish descent. And he kind of looked at me and I go, and half Japanese. And he was like, oh, he goes, oh, I love the Irish. And I was like, what a dick. But his wife was lovely. Talked to her for a little bit long. And I was like, okay, Tony, let's go. And we left. That was very scary for me. And then going back to New York City, I was meeting with this Chinese producer, actually. We were sitting outside. And I was very aware of sitting outside, watching people walk by and looking at us. Whether they were looking or, or in my head, but I was very conscious of watching people watch us talking. And all because of idiot brain that lived in the White yeah. House the time yeah because that person put a target on a group of people mm -hmm. and let me tell you yeah. fear like i said fear is taught fear is taught fear is taught and fear makes you act terribly because fear is so strong not so much anymore because we're so much more aware but like i said i there were many jobs i did not get because of mm -hmm. what i looked like i couldn't even get an audition but i kept going because i was just determined i was like I didn't understand really what the big deal was. <laughs> Honestly, I, yeah. I was still that naive. I just wanted to keep working. And you worked your butt off. I worked my butt off. And you know, it's so funny. Brian, my husband's Brian said this to me one day. He goes, because I went, you know, when I'm in rehearsal, I'm the first one there. Sometimes I beat stage managers and one of the last to leave. I work all the time. I'm boom. Just, I, I never sit for lunch breaks. You know what I mean? And he goes, you always have to be the hardest working person in the room. And I said, no, I don't. But then I thought to myself, I wonder if that is subconscious i wonder if me always prove having to prove myself has something to do with who i am or what i what i am or what i look like being a woman being a woman of color all of those things being a dancer because you know back in my day when i first started dances with the bottom of the barrel you know it wasn't the it wasn't the heydays of the cheetahs and the gwens where dancing was like oh you know it's true because i am like First, but that's because I also want to be ready and I, I need to be in the room. But I wonder if there's something else there. Take that to your therapist. I know. I just psychoanalyze myself. <laughs> <laughs> no, 
myself. <laughs> I wonder too. I wonder too. But you brought up you brought up being a woman in the industry too, mm-hmm. and a woman with power as choreographer. What's that like? To me, I've worked with a lot of female choreographers. I don't question that like at all. But there may be people out there who do. I don't know. Do you, do you run into that? I've only worked with two, well, besides my first mentor, like two female choreographers. Most of the mm. choreographers were, were men. But I never, I never, I never thought of it. Like you said, I never, I was like, they were, to me, they were the choreographer. They weren't the male choreographer. They weren't the, yeah. they were, they were in charge, right? right. I, that's how I thought of it. But I never, but, but then when someone asked how, how many have you worked for it, I was like, Stroman and Kathleen. I think, you know, when Hillary Clinton was running, right, for president, you know how many times people used to use the B word on it. It's my least favorite word in the history of the world, the word bitch, because it always is in uh, parallel to a strong female who has an opinion. And so I remember her being called that. I go, why? Because she is strong, smart, has a point of view in life. That's not a good enough reason to be called, I mean, you know, yeah. and, be, and yeah. using bitch as a derogatory statement, a derogatory exactly. Statement. You know, it's, it's a double standard. It's a total double standard. When I'm in a room, first of all, it's not in my personality to be to yell or to be like a jerk. Hopefully, you know, I like to have fun. I want to laugh constantly when I'm in the room. I know. I love your laugh. <laughs> <laughs> your laugh in a rehearsal room is the best medicine. It's the best. <laughs> but I want to have fun. So it's not in my person, my, my being to be that way. But I also wonder if, you know, all of that somehow affects the way I do present myself because I was like, no one is going to say that just because I have an opinion or I'm strong. I'm going to be strong, but, but I can also be kind and considerate and compassionate, but I will throw down with you if you want yeah. me to. You know what I mean? Don't, don't think I won't. If you do something that hurts somebody that I, I'm like, then, yeah, of course. Uh, then but, but I don't approach your space that way ever. You know what I mean? Yeah. I always say, I think my, one of my biggest talents is navigating the room. And that is a talent. That's a special skill. And you know what? Sometimes in order to get, you know, to get your point across or to get what you want. And I don't mean get what you want, like a baby, like, oh, you know, having a tantrum, but getting your point and getting heard sometimes is not a straight line. Sometimes you got to do this, you got to, you got to do this and then, and then you're there. And I think that's something I, I do well. And I think I do it well because of experience and experience only of how it's like watching how things get told, how one, some person is totally negated because they're not, how they approach it. Okay. Note to self, don't approach it that way. Figure out a way to be heard because Mm -hmm. once you're heard, then they'll listen. Oh, yes. I just, I'm so grateful that you are you and that I have gotten to know you and that you've shared so much with me and on this podcast and for anybody who gets to hear this um fyi it's most likely going to be two episodes there's so much good material in here and we've just talked and talked and talked we've got to wrap this up though joanne um tell so, everyone to bring some wine and listen to it bring some wine there you go this is one of my favorite questions to ask people um with with such incredible careers such as yours. What do you know now that you wish you knew then? As a performer, I wish I would have understood that the when you went to an audition, that the people behind the table didn't hate you. <laughs> that actually wanted to hire you, wanted you to give your best 
audition ever. I'm sure a lot of your students probably feel this way. You know, when they audition, you just think they just stare at you and they hate you. They're like, but they're not, they're staring at you because they're thinking they're like, or thinking, oh, not this show, but something else. Because it would have put me at ease a bit. And as a creator, I wish I would have paid more attention, even though I think I did, but uh, as to what really, what it takes to do what we do. Hmm. Meaning, um, when you're on stage and you're teching, right? And everyone else is out in the house and doing their thing and you got to stand there because lighting's taken eight hours to get this right. You know, you're thinking, you know, because as performer, you're, you're, performers are, they're, they're, you're selfish. You wouldn't be a performer if you weren't. I mean, you've got to have, got to be some, some kind of narcissism about you, right? It's got to be. You'd be a liar to say, no, no, it's not true. But I wish that I really understood all the moving parts and really what a director has to do. Because the easiest part for the director and for the choreographer is working in the room. That is the easiest part. The hard part is figuring out story, figuring out this, the director figuring out, oh, getting your team together. There's so many more elements that you have no idea um, as a performer. And maybe you don't need to, you know what I mean? But I, as a creator, have learned that by doing. I wish I would have had a little bit more insight and to go, wow, this is hard. <laughs> <laughs> All right, some lightning round questions. Oh no! Don't, okay. don't overthink these. They're just okay. five questions that I that I want to ask you. I ask every one of my guests. Okay, the first question: What was the last play or book that you read? It's actually a new piece I'm working on, and it's called uh, Penelope Ad. Uh, that uh, it's written by Margaret Atwood. It's a play that we're going to do at the Goodman next year, and we're going to add music and movement. Oh my God, I love that. That's so exciting. What is the last musical that you listened to? Sound of Music. Sound of Music? Really? Oh, I love that. My favorite movie musical. Christopher Plummer. Yummy. Yummy. Mm. My boyfriends when I was a little girl. I love that you said that. Um, that show's very near and dear to my heart. Okay, number three. Do you watch TV? Yes. You do. What show are you currently hooked on? There's two. Ted Lasso, of course. Ted Lasso, yes. And then I am not a reality TV person at all. But I was talking to somebody about, about survival tactics. Like, oh my God, I wonder if I would like, what happens if I were left in the woods or all that? What have you ever survived? They go, oh, you have to watch alone. It's one, one person, no camera crew. They, they give you like five cameras. You have to put it and they, they, they drop you off. They're up in, um, up in Canada, like this rain forest where there are bears, there are cougars, there are and they have to build their own hut. They're dropped off with just so much equipment, but what they have to do, I was like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be able, nope. I don't think I would. That sounds hardcore. It's hardcore. Okay, good. And Ted Lasso. Love it. Okay, favorite snack food? Red seedless grapes and popcorn. Mmm, popcorn. I'm addicted to popcorn. And then the last one goes back to your performance days. You may hate this question, and if you do, we can strike it out. But <laughs> if you could play any role on stage, what would it be? I've always wanted to play Joan of Arc. Really? I'm not a religious person, but her commitment to what she believes and to willing to die for it and be not just die, like burned at the friggin' stake at the age of 16, I believe. Wow. Another strong human being. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> there you go. That resonates with you. I totally get it. Joanne M. Hunter, this has been a dream come true, a total delight. You are a total joy. I hope that the people who get to hear this 
can sense or feel just the light that you emanate. It is one of my favorite things in the world to be in any room and, and feel the glow from you. You are an amazing human being. And I thank you so much from the bottom of my heart for giving uh, and contributing to this as you have today. Thank you so much. Thank you, David. You um, touched my heart so much. Thank you so much. It's so I'm so happy for you. I'm so in awe of you. I can't believe you're doing this and you're going to write a book. You're just like friggin' amazing. And you're raising two kids. Draw bow to you. You. <laughs>